Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado, let's get into the word. So just have it in mind that today we're building on the theme on parables. We've been talking about the parables of Jesus, right? Um, and some people were surprised that that would be something we would teach, but that's what you get in BMG. We, we go off script and say, Hey, let's not just teach a sermon. Let's answer practical questions, specific questions about some things that are just there. And then we just walk past them. How many of you have read a parable and you're like, I don't get it, but I, I guess I don't really care. <laughs> and I just, you know, you read some parables and it's just like, I don't know what is the wheat, what is the tares, what are the five virgins, what are the, what does what does this signify? And you're just like clueless. Well, we're gonna discuss that. And we started that two weeks ago, talking about the fact that when you deal with parables, but we have started teaching. So if you want to take notes, take some notes. When you talk, when we talk about parables, the word parable itself refers to um something being thrown alongside an idea so if i'm trying to tell you something i can muffle the presentation with a story either to make you understand it clearly or to hide the meaning so a parable could either be a better storytelling of a true fact a spiritual fact or it could be a riddle that only those who are discerning enough can investigate and get the answer. So that's, um, and then if you remember your CRK, you know, in primary school, secondary school, wherever you had CRK, I've forgotten, but there was the definition of parables, which was um, stories of, that have a spiritual meaning, earthly stories of, with, with a heavenly meaning, something like that. Um, and I think it's a safe and fair definition, right? Parables are earthly stories about practical things with a heavenly meaning, right? So Jesus would start with a story and the end of that story would be a lesson. So that's something we learned two weeks ago that you don't look for, you don't go nitpicking in parables to the point of getting an, you know, an explanation for every single element or character in that parable. So there are people who learn, you know, read the, the parable of the five foolish virgins and five wise virgins, the 10 virgins. And the first thing that comes to their mind is allegorical interpretation. What did the oil signify? Bam. What did the bridegroom signify? They want to know. What was the lamp? They want to know. Um, what, why, why were they virgins? They want to know. And, and, you know, if you, many times what matters is not all the single de singular details. What matters is the story or the point, the one singular point that was intended by the teller of that story. All right. Very important. I remember I gave an example to prove this point that even in the Old Testament, there were parables, right? It wasn't only Jesus that used parables. Parables were some of the styles of teaching of prophets. And I'm going to talk to you about the prophetic ministry of Jesus. Jesus was a prophet as well. All right. But before we get there, I want to break that. I want to make that point clear. So in the Old Testament, prophet Nathan comes to 
David, right? How many of you know this story? If you were here, you remember the story. Comes to David and says, I have something to tell you. You know, there was a man, very successful man. He had um, cattle and all of these livestock. He had ewes, many ewes, E-W-E. And then there's all this other man who has just one ewe that he takes like his own, like his own child, feeds it, takes care of it. And then there was a party that I wanted to host. And then this rich man goes to this other man that only had one ewe, took that one, killed the ewe, and used that to serve the guest. And Dan, David was like, what? Who is that wicked human being? Like, bring him out. Let me kill him. And then Nathan says, you are that man. And I, I told you about that parable, right? The parable is so interesting. Like, if you took it word for word, meaning for meaning, you would get lost. Because if you say the ewe was Bathsheba, was Bathsheba killed? She wasn't, right? How many of you know the story? I hope I'm not losing you. Like, I don't want to go back and tell the story. Bathsheba was taken by David. He slept with her and he killed the, the husband of Bathsheba, which was Uriah, right? So if you were to follow that parable word for word and interpret everything into something, like the ewe has to be someone. And you say the ewe is Bathsheba because obviously David had, you know, many wives, but he went to take this other wife. And you say Bathsheba is the ewe. Well, the ewe was killed. You see, so and Bathsheba wasn't killed. So you cannot do that with parables. You just have to get the idea of David is the man that left what he has and went to another family and took the one precious thing that family had, all right? And so that was the whole point of the parable. So when you read a parable, remember that there's one major meaning. And so that's what we're going to do today for the most part, where I'm just going to go through some of the parables and try to explain it alongside the scriptures so that you, you, you see what the point is, all right? So get ready to learn a lot of parables. But one thing you realize when it comes to the parables of Jesus is that the parables, most of them start with a phrase like this, the kingdom of heaven is like. How many of you have seen it like that? So you read and you just see the kingdom of this is like, and then he tells a story. And have you ever asked yourself the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? Is there a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? These are things to really think about, right? So I'm going to try to do justice to that teaching today. So that's why I'm so hyped about today's teaching. If we need a part two, I would, I would gladly go into a part two. But even though I have notes, I want to do a lot of freestyling here because I think it's important to be able to help you see um, the core point in the parables because when you understand the kingdom of heaven you understand the kingdom of god when you see the parables it begins to make sense like okay i see where this is going all right so i want someone to read for me real quick if you can second timothy chapter 2 from verse 15 so if someone can read that real quick second timothy 2 um i love participation i love interaction so if you can unmute once in a while or you type in the chat, please do that. Because we have a lot of mind work to do today. So I want you guys to follow me along. 
Okay. Who's okay. Go ahead. Wait, me or the other the other person can read. <laughs> Who's the other person? Okay, so let me go. I'm using the KJV and it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Nice. So now many of you have read this text before, right? Study to show yourself approved. And I've taught it time and time again that the word study is actually the word spodazo, which means to be diligent. So it's not just saying study, like how you study for exams, even though that's implied. The real meaning is be diligent, meaning there is some hard work required to present yourself approved to God and to be a worker that is not ashamed. Because if you know, if you know your stuff, there's no shame. Have you ever been in a situation where, you know, they call you out and you didn't prepare? Maybe you were supposed to give a paper or a presentation and you did not prepare and they call you out. You remember how you felt? Just sweaty, fidgety. You're just saying M, 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 am, am, am. All these filler words were there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, right. So there is the sense in which you can be ashamed when it comes to the word of God. If you don't know the word of God and you're talking to someone on the street, you know, you're sharing the gospel, which by the way, next month, I want you to be ready. Next month, oh my, it's going to be fire. You're going to learn so much. So make sure you don't miss next month. It's going to equip you with the tools you need to be a better evangelist. And there's nothing better than knowing how to harness the teachings in scripture alongside with facts of life. And that's what we call apologetics. So I'll give you a hint about what we're going to do with next month. So come ready. Apologetics will equip you. you you'll be able to handle um, tough questions about the faith, regular popular repeated questions like imagine if you could know how to answer the 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 top 20 objections to christianity your evangelism journey will just be so beautiful and then when you have the difficult questions that are not addressed you have the tools to give an answer so don't miss it team is i shouldn't shouldn't tell you the team yet but yeah it's along those lines all right so but back to my point here you don't want to be ashamed when coming when dealing with the word of god And how would you not be ashamed? Well, be diligent, study, prepare. Don't be that student that comes up and you don't know what to say and you're just emming and eyeing and oing. You want to have the word of God at the tip of your your lips. It says, and it says the last thing there, rightly dividing the word of truth, which means there is a right way to divide the word of God. You don't just read the Bible for reading the Bible's sake. There is a way to interpret the Bible there's some verses that if you read them you can and you don't interpret correctly, you can destroy your life. I, I mean, there's this very popular apologetics joke that you guys have heard. Is it sorry, a hermeneutics joke, right? You've heard it so many times, but I just think it's so apt. You open your Bible. I want to hear from God today. Lord, whatever you have to tell me, just tell me. You know, I'm ready. I'm going to flip this Bible and wherever I stop, that's the word. Of me, some of you have heard this already laughing, and you just open it. And you see, and Judas hanged himself. Ah, Lord, is this your word to me? Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, everyone is established. Let me look for another one. You go, that's which you must do. Do quickly. Ah, okay. <laughs> this is the last try. God, you whatever you say now goes, and you flip your Bible again. You see, go and do likewise. 
You know, you've heard that joke a lot, but like that's how a lot of people treat the Bible. And just to practicalize this, a lot of people have the same approach when it comes to making serious life decisions. I've heard some people say some weird things. And I say, where did you get that? They say from the Bible. I'm like, this is the same Bible I'm reading. I mean, just, just now, Praise told us about someone she heard. The pastor said that the high priest spoke in tongues once a year. I'm like, is it Hebrews or Hebrews? Or which one did he read? Because where did he come up with this, with this idea? And um, yeah, okay, thanks for the honesty, you know. And, and the truth is, God wants us to be able to rightly divide the word of God. Don't be a lazy student. Anytime someone says, oh, the Bible says this, you can ask them, show me where, let's go. Let's look at it together. Like, what's the pretext? What's the context? What, what is being said? Okay, and then you can agree. Don't be that person that you can bubble with anything. You know, they call your name all of a sudden because somebody knows your name in this Instagram generation. They know where you went for holiday. They know where you traveled. You just think they are from heaven, that they have prophetic abilities. You have to be discerning. And you have every right to question the authenticity of any claim because the Bible is the Bible. It was here before any of us. Very important. So why am I talking about rightly dividing the word of truth? Well, it applies to what we're talking about today. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's the same application. Some people think they are interchangeable. Are they? Let's find out. Let me ask. What do you guys think? But this is Bible study, and I don't want to just be the one teaching, but let's talk. What do we think about those two terminologies? And remember, this is the only place you can be completely wrong and not be judged. Let's, let's start out with that. I just want to hear a few people. What's the difference between the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, if there is? So all in favor of there is a difference. Let's start from there. Is there a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? All in favor, hands up. By the way, Naomi is good. You're good. All right, Pearl's hand is up. Chema is up. So I think you guys are four. Okay, for a sister listening. Okay, so all right. All in favor of they, they are different. You can put your hands down now. So all in favor of they are the same. There's no difference. Okay, well, we are here today. So we're going to learn together. Okay, so Shema is like, okay, I think they're the same. They could be the same. Okay, so let's start by making a very, very interesting discovery. Um, did you realize, I mean, just, just as a start, just because I'm, I want to teach you guys the how, not just the what, um, if you wanted to find out the answer to this question, what would you do? How would you approach it? What would you say? Okay, so Pastor Ines is asking, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom? What would be your first approach? If you wanted to get the answer, anyone can speak. It's like Bible Marathon has become very, very, you know, at first it was very, it seemed like it was very easy, but now I feel like I'm challenging you guys too much. I hope it's not. Okay, good. I'm seeing answers. So go through instances where these words were used and check for context. Bravo. I'm clapping for you. Go to scripture and check how. <laughs> Someone said use chat GPT. You know what? Actually, let's use that as a tool. For Bible study, how about that? Because I'm not opposed to AI. I just have my reservations. But if you want to do it right now as we're on this call, go, go there and say, what's the difference? You know, don't believe everything it says. But I'm just saying, 
you know, for research purposes, you can do that. But the best approach is to go through the scriptures, which is what most of you are seeing. So from my own personal study, I said, okay, let's do it. Let's find out the difference between kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And here was my amazing, interesting discovery. So the, the phrase kingdom of heaven appears 32 times in the Bible, 32 times, 33 times. And then the kingdom of God appears 70 times. I'm talking about the King James. So you see more references to the kingdom of God than you see to the king. That's point. So that, that should already start something in your mind. Okay, there's more reference to kingdom of heaven. Also, you only see the kingdom of heaven in the gospels. So what you find is a lot of references for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the days. For theirs, are, you remember that, right? You learned you learned about the beat at some point in life, right? So there's always that blessed, you know, are you those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, blessed, blah, blah. And then most of it was, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So immediately you should start thinking, the kingdom of heaven. Is it the kingdom of God? So let's take another look at the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God appears 70 times. So there are references in the Old Testament about the kingdom of God. But then you also see that the kingdom of God is mentioned in the epistle. So that tells you something as a good Bible student. Who can tell me what it tells you? If you see something that was mostly referenced in the gospels, kingdom of heaven, but kingdom of God, you see it in the epistles as well. What might it be saying? What might it be You're in class? So you guys are in class. <laughs> what could it be inferring? The fact that you see something stop with the seemingly Old Testament. I'm giving you some hints. And I, you. Yeah, go ahead, Mo. It might be that the explanation for it is in the New Testament. Not really, like, okay. you can, yeah, that the most main explanation is in the New Testament, not in the Old. Okay, okay. So, so let me give this as a pretext because most people may not know this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are books. Do you know why? These books speak about something that happened before the death, burial, and resurrection. When we say testament, what does testament mean? It means a covenant, an agreement, all right? God had what was called the old agreement, which is called the Old Testament. And so there are books that describe the experience of the, all right? The law, the prophets, and the eyewitness accounts of the different gospel writers. So what makes the New Testament, what, what started the New Testament? It was the death of the testator. Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews says, unless there is the death of the testator, the new will is not enforced. The New Testament was birthed from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we are in the New Testament, the new covenant, because of what Jesus did. But when you read the gospels, what do you see? It's like a blend, right? You're seeing Jesus is alive. He's doing miracles. There's still prophecy being shared. You know, there, there are prophets. John the Baptist is a prophet. An Old Testament prophet, actually. All right? Jesus himself is... And by the way, let me just prove this because I don't want to lose anybody. I feel like I've taught this before, but if you haven't gone back... So let's look at um, Matthew 11. 
and look at the words of Jesus. Let me show you this. Matthew 11 from verse 8. I have a lot to cover, but let me just, let me, let me clear this up real quick. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? I say to you, the more than a prophet. Who, who is he referring to? He's referring to John the Baptist. How do we know? Next verse. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will pre prepare our way before you. Who prepared the way before the Messiah? John the Baptist, right? So this is speaking about the messenger that would go before, you know, we, K, 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 uh, CRK will tell you the forerunner of Jesus. But forerunner just means someone who comes before and to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, this king that they had, the Jews had been next. And then what does he say? Look at verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one. And when he says one, he's referring primarily to prophecy. So the prophets. He says, there has not written one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven. Notice he's using the phrase kingdom of heaven. He says, is greater than he. So he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Why is that the case? Let's keep going. Maybe we can tell. Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. So stay, stay with me. The kingdom of heaven is a, is a kingdom. And I'll talk about what a kingdom is. But just have that at the back of your mind. It's a kingdom. It's under the domain of, a, of an authority of a king. And he's saying the kingdom... Till the, from the days of John the Baptist till now, that kingdom has suffered violence. And he says, and the violent take it by Then he says this, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So I hope this helps explain that John was a prophet along with all the other prophets of the Old Testament. Just because the Bible you have has a dividing page that says, now you're in the New Testament. Doesn't mean the New Testament has already started. It's a book that is telling the story. So if you want to classify Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you, you categorize them as eyewitness accounts of the ministry, the life and, you know, the life ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's a transitionary set of books. How many of you are still with me? When did the New Testament start? It started when Jesus died was buried and rose from the dead. Because the New Testament is marked by the Spirit. When did the Spirit come to dwell in people? It was after Jesus died. It was not before. Before, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and do marvelous things. But God had something bigger in mind. And that was the new covenant he would have with us. He said, I'll put my Spirit within you. That's the new covenant. All right? Still, are you still with me? <laughs> I hope you're still with me. We're going a long journey. So I just really want to make sure that you're following. So having said all that, when you look at the, 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 uh, the book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you see that the kingdom of heaven is used there a lot of the time. But then you go to the New Testament, Acts, where now Jesus has risen. The spirit is in people. 
you know, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes on these guys. They start speaking in tongues, you know, doing miraculous signs. Church is growing, right? That's what we start seeing. And then we now get to the point of the epistles, the writings of these apostles that God had commissioned. So that's the New Testament. What you start seeing is the kingdom of God. So let's look at the, an example of a definition of the kingdom of God. We're going to come back. I promise. It's, a, it's not a teaching that you may get once. You may have to listen to this again and again. You know, but just, just follow me here. So if you want to define the kingdom of God, a good place to go will be Jesus. Because that's where we tend to see it a lot. So let's go to Romans um, chapter 14 from verse 17. This is almost like a definition. So who can read this to me? Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. So the kingdom of God is where? From what you just read, where is it? What's the location? It is in the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's No, that's correct, Naomi. You're right. So it's the location of this kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. It, it says... But the kingdom of God is not in drinking and eating. And when you say eating and drinking, we're talking physical. We're talking tangible, right? How many of you have eaten spiritual food? Like, you know, we spoon and fork. So <laughs> you've eaten spiritual food probably by listening to the word of God. And, but, but when you eat food, it is physical. And so um, Paul was trying to teach a lot in Romans 14. Right, they have talked about a lot of things like how to t- deal with people in love, right? Not um, causing anyone to stumble. That was the context of Romans 14. And then he now gets to a point where he starts to say, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It is deeper. It is not physical. It says it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So righteousness. Can you touch it or see it? No. It is a spiritual reality. Peace. You can just tell someone has peace, but can you actually like touch it? No. Joy. Something supernatural too. It's something that happens within it. So we're looking at, we're seeing that the kingdom of God is something that is in the realm of the spirit. It's a spiritual reality. Are you still with me? Let me show you. Um, a text in John 12. Okay, let's okay. Before we go to John, yeah, if I go to John 12 now, I've missed a very great opportunity to explain something. So, before we go go there, let's talk a little bit about what a, what a kingdom is. All right, so when we say kingdom, what, what does it mean? Nation, hmm. okay, nation. Who, who wants to help more? Just, just add something. <laughs> Um, kind of like a community where there's like okay, so a community where there is a king, very important. So, kingdom is actually short for king domain. So, there is a domain and there is a ruler called the king. So, you know, there's even a lot from many of us are Africans here, so you know, things like um, the if you were Nollywood, you know what I'm talking about, you know, the something kingdom. Um, and, and when you say kingdom, you are thinking about there being like an Oba or some Igwe or something, right? There's someone in charge of that domain. So a kingdom is basically a king's domain, like a realm of reign, 
a jurisdiction of power, someone has authority there and is ruling a group of people. So let's go back now. What was the trend of this whole idea of kingdom? Realize that the people of Israel were God's people, right? So we're doing a little bit of a Bible study right now. We go back to the Old Testament. You go to Exodus. What's happening in Exodus? The people of God are being maltreated, right? Things are going bad. They are being, you know, taken as slaves. And then all of a sudden, God raises Moses, a deliverer, to get these people out of bondage, right? So the Israelites now, you know, start going on this journey. God is with them. It takes care of them, brings them out to the promised land. And, you know, you think the story is over. But no, God has a plan that he wants to build. He wants to make them a kingdom of kings and priests. God wants to make them amazing people. But what happens? They rebel, they sin against God, they turn on their own way. What do they start to do? They start get they start asking for kings. How many of you know this story? Well, I'm done, I'm telling you the story. So if you've not heard it before, you, you're hearing it now. They start asking for kings. Like every other nation has a king. We want a king. Now, what's the problem with that? God was their king. God wanted to be the king of the Israelites, and they wanted their own king. So, so God said, okay. I'll give you a king. And who was the king? That, so Saul, broad-chested, you know, Johnny Bravo-like, strong man, like, oh my God, there's no other person that could have been the best king. You know, when you look at a king and he has everything physically, tell him, like, ah, if he presents present this king to a king. So they were happy. But was that God's? God gave them what? But God still wanted to be their king. And this became a theme all across the Old Testament because what kept happening was they would have a king, and guess what? I mean, you can read the, the, the book of Chronicles. You'll get tired. It's literally Chronicles. It's stories of kings rising and falling. You say, this one served the Lord, and things went well. Then another king came, not serve God. Bam. Another king came. Wow. Another king came. So that's like the story of Israel. Because they didn't want God on high to be their king, their eternal king, they started calling for their own kings. And guess what happened? It, they started going off course. But what was God's, what was the prophecy that God kept giving the prophets? They kept prophesying, someone is coming from you that will be a king forever. So those, those were the prophecies they were hearing. Let me see if I can find an example of those prophecies. Um, Daniel chapter two might have something. So, and you know, this is Bible study. So apart from me teaching, I want you guys to also be looking out for this as well. So on your own, if you find anything, put it out here, anything that can bless us. Um, okay. I love this. So let me, let me read this. This was when Daniel got the vision. Let me clear my screen. So this Daniel chapter two from verse 19 says, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the Lord God of heaven. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. So he's talking about the, the powerful dominion of this king who is able to raise and bring down a king. Talking about his ultimate power. He says, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the dark and light dwells in him. I thank you for, you know, oh God of my fathers, you've given me wisdom. 
All right, so I'm going to skip to verse, yes, so look at this. This is when he's interpreting the dream. So, I mean, there's no time, but I'd love you to read the dream on your own. How many of you know this story? This was Daniel giving interpretation of the dream that the king had. And, you know, it was frightened and he called and, you know, God saved. You know, the king wanted them to interpret the dream and not just interpret the dream, but they should tell him the dream. How many of you know this, this story? So this is where Daniel comes in and, you know, tells him the interpretation. And then, so now he's talking about the kingdoms. So listen to this. This is the language of the Old Testament. Kingdoms, kingdoms, kingdoms. So you have to get very conversant with it so that when Jesus starts seeing the kingdom of heaven, you get it. That's my goal in this teaching. So I want you to actually see, by the way, if you didn't know, there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God. So I don't think I answered that clearly. But I want you to be able to see that. All right. So it says he's interpreting the dream. Wherever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the birds of the heavens, he has given them to your hands and made you ruler. But now, after this guy's kingdom, Daniel says in verse 39, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. So your kingdom... After yours will be another kingdom that is less than yours. And then another, so it's kind of telling the future. And by the way, you can trace the history of time and life to these kingdoms. Everything he said about this dream has come to pass. Most of it, there was the Persian kingdom, there was the Babylonian kingdom, like all these kingdoms actually were, were you know, in the, in the past. There was also a Roman kingdom. We'll get there. But just follow the flow here. It says, after you will rise another kingdom inferior to yours, then there will be another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And then, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. He's describing the kingdom and what would typify that kingdom. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like the iron that crushes, the kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet of to- the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. So if you're getting bored right now, let me just tell you what the story is. He's interpreting a dream, and in that dream, the king saw a big statue made of different elements at different parts of the statue. So head of gold, you know, um, different parts. The feet was of iron and of clay, talking about a particular, um, sorry, about a particular kingdom. Now, who can tell me what that kingdom of iron and clay was? Just, I just want to test, you know, Bible knowledge, if anyone is able to tell me. The kingdom of iron and of clay. Who can tell me? Strong kingdom and a weak kingdom. So do you know the name of the kingdom? So there have been many kingdoms. There have been the Persian kingdom, the Roman kingdom. The So which one do you think this is referring to? I think the one of iron. I think okay, let's, the- let's read. Let's keep reading. Maybe okay. you'll be able to detect it. It says, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, I need someone to actually tell me that one, because we're about to talk about a kingdom he's about to describe now that is going to be 
a new kingdom that will rule. So let me let me do this for you just because it will help. I'm going to put something on this um, that should help. I'm hoping the silence is people doing research. All right, so let me put this. I think. So how many of you can see this? Tell me you can see the screen. Yes, we can. Okay, good. So let me now, let me, let me help you see that the story was not just a random story. Maybe it was a Bible story for you. But that prophecy was a literal prophecy about what was going to happen. It was basically Daniel prophesying the future. <laughs> All right. So what was he telling him? He said, head of fine gold. That is the Babylonian, Babylonian empire. And that was where the children of Israel were under bondage, right? And he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Now, he said a kingdom will come and take over that kingdom. It's going to be made of, a breast to be made of, uh, breast and arms will be of silver. And that was speaking of the Mede and Persian empires, which actually took over. Now, remember, Daniel said it was the lesser, lesser empire. It was not as powerful as this. And guess what? This actually happened, even in the lifetime of Daniel. All right? Are you still with me? Okay, I'm rushing through this because there's, this is like, this should be a whole teaching on its own. I still want to get some of the parables so that you start to see better. Then it goes to the belly and ties of brass, which is the Macedonian empire. All right. Then he talks, he's still in that prophecy. He comes to the legs of iron, which we were just looking at, right? And then pay attention, legs of iron would refer to the Roman empire because if you know anything about the Roman Empire, like it was literally known that they dealt with iron. So that was even not just metaphorical, but they were a very strong nation that had an iron clasp hand, all right? So which, let me ask you a question. When Jesus was on, on the earth in his, during his ministry, what empire was in charge at the time? I'm not hearing anybody. Good. Roman Empire. Roman Very Empire. good. Good student. So what was happening? Do you remember You remember that they were being oppressed by the Romans? Yeah. In fact, Jesus was crucified by who? Roman soldiers. So these are things you don't want to skip when you read your Bible, okay? Pay attention to the details. Um, so now look at feet of, and, and toes of clay. It says it's describing the kingdoms that arose after the fall of the Roman Empire. And some of you are probably like curious as to why I'm showing this, this image and it's from the Church of Jesus Christ, which is, you know, a very interesting group. Well, they are correct here. That's why I'm sharing this. <laughs> I'm sure somebody must have noticed. Why am I showing um, Latter-day Saints image? But yeah, it is historically correct. All right. Now, kingdoms that rose after the fall of the Roman Empire. Now, what does the Bible say? Let's go back to the Bible and try to see what Daniel was going to prophesy. What was going to come after this statue, all these kingdoms? He talks about another kingdom. So let me see if there's a question. What, wasn't it Jews that convinced them to? Yes, absolutely. So the Jews had every part. They played a big role in the crucifixion of Jesus. But the people that implemented the crucifixion were the Romans. It wasn't like... The chief priest took um, hammer and nail or something. No, it was the Roman soldiers. The chief priest handed him over to the government at the time, which was, you know, there was church and states in that time. Like it was very mixed up, you know. Um, Herod was had Jewish ties and he was also like a pagan king. So we can talk about that another time. 
But look at what Daniel was saying. And in the days of these kings, the, the God of heaven, so he's talking about what will happen after. He says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So every other kingdom that he has listed, they will come and they will go. They will come and they will go. But now there is a new kingdom that is going to come. He says that kingdom will never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Hallelujah. So what you need to realize is that Daniel was prophesying about the kingdom that was to come. And ladies and gentlemen, that kingdom that he was speaking about was the kingdom of heaven. Now, man, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> there's so much to cover. But so far, are you, are you here with me? Any questions so far? I'm still going somewhere. Okay, Mo, go ahead. Are we in the kingdom of heaven? Are we in the kingdom of heaven? So Are we in the kingdom because we're here on earth? So yeah. the kingdom of heaven has not yet. Okay. And I'll explain that. I'm getting there. But that question was like shooting me many miles ahead. So stay with me. All right. So what happened is that Jesus coming was supposed to establish the kingdom of heaven. Stay with me. Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, also in Daniel chapter 7. Let me see if we can. We have enough time to cover that. Uh, I think we can. There's so many things to explain. Okay, so, so he's still talking in terms of prophetic language. Daniel 7, 12. Please take note of all this text. I, as Bible students, BMG, we are known for like Bible study. So we want to, I'm trusting that you guys will go on your own and still like research and, you know, study these things I'm quoting. Daniel 7, 12, as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. He says, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of days. And you know, this thing is so prophetic. So he's talking about someone called the son of man. Realize that at this time, the Jews did not know the whole picture. We are blessed because we are at the end. We are looking back and we're saying, wow, Jesus came in the flesh, you know. But then someone is reading this and is confused. There is something, someone called the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient of days. Are there two characters? Now we can look back in retrospect and say, oh, that's the son to the father. They didn't have that understanding in the Old Testament. So you guys should be thanking God for that. All right, but let's continue. It says, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was giving dominion and glory and what? And a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Who is this him? Jesus. So that was the goal. He was supposed to come and set up a kingdom. In other words, Jesus was supposed to come and take back the dominion. In other words, crush the dominion of the Romans. Are you with me? Crush the dominion of the Romans, crush the dominion of every other power and bring his own kingdom to rule. That was what was supposed to happen. So what happened? Let me read something to you. Did I finish this? No. Um, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So he's talking about his kingdom. His kingdom will be everlasting. 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Guess what? Daniel had already prophesied this in Daniel 2, in that dream. Same language. So when Jesus comes and people are like trying to predict, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? So they look at the Old Testament. They say, he shall open the eyes of the blind. And so shall the lame leap for joy. They're like, oh, okay. This man, he's healing the sick. He must be the, the, the son of man that has been prophesied. You have to realize that the Old Testament had a lot of prophecies about a king that would come from the tribe of David and rule and reign. So in their minds, what are the Jews thinking? He's going to be a political leader, someone who's going to be stronger than the Romans, right? Wiser than the Medes and Persians, more powerful than the Babylonian kingdom. And guess who they see? In Nazarites, a man who just called 12 disciples, you know, walked on the streets, did not have any courage, did not have any, um, you know, bandwagon of soldiers to protect him. It was just this man, lowly and meek, kind. So people were confused. They were looking for a political jagaban and they got a carpenter. They were looking for someone who would just like transform the, the world, like this guy, you know, and so that's why the disciples were just like tied to Jesus. Like even when anything was going to happen to him, they wanted to defend him. Remember what happened when Jesus was about to be arrested? Remember what happened? Peter was like, eh, no way. Brought out his knife. <laughs> because he's like, what is going on? This is the guy that's supposed to deliver us. He cannot die. He cannot die. He's the one that the prophet spoke about. Let me even prove you, prove this to you that even after the death of Jesus, some of the Jews did not still understand. The disciples of Jesus themselves were still confused about God's plan. Now I'm going somewhere with this. So if you are lost, it means you are listening to me. <laughs> if you are not lost, they are not listening to me. Okay, I'm saying rubbish. All right, let's go back to Luke. Luke chapter 24. Some of you know this story. Um, Luke 24. Jesus has risen from the dead at this point, And then... Some of these guys are walking on the road. Am I still sharing? Luke 24, 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling in that same road, uh, that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. All of these things happened in Jerusalem, right? So they, these people are going to a village. And he says, and they, as they were talking about all the things which had happened, what had happened? Jesus had just died. They had killed this guy who was supposed to be the redeemer of Israel. So what, what were they discussing? Let's find out. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So picture this, two men, dejected and sad, walking to their village, you know, after all the things that happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus, you know, comes and sneaks in their midst. He makes sure they don't know who he is because that's what the Bible says in the next verse. It says, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And then, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So Jesus looked at them and he noticed their countenance was sad. Like, what are you people discussing? Now, listen to them because it will give you a lot of insight into how they thought. <laughs> Jeremiah, you're making me laugh. Like, I want you to picture this as, you know, village, like actual village, Igbo village. They are wrapped, they've wrapped rapper and they are walking and they are sad. <laughs> and you're hearing that song. That sound. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going back to my 
my early days. Okay, now they are walking. Then Jesus is like, what are you sad about? And one of them was called Cleopas. And he said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known these things which have happened there in these days? Like, are you not on Insta blog? Don't you know, like, what the gist of things that are happening in the land? And then Jesus still acting. What things? Because he wants to hear what they think. Now, anytime Jesus acts like this, it doesn't mean Jesus doesn't know anything. It's just Jesus' way of getting truth and knowing where people are. So Jesus was very good at asking questions. I remember two weeks ago, I taught you the benefit of asking questions. Jesus taught with questions, all right? So learn that as well. Something beautiful. He says, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. What did they know about him? Number one, he was what? A prophet. Are you seeing the screen? Mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. So this, they got it right to a degree. He was a prophet. Absolutely. He looked like Elijah. Like he did the things Elijah did. Elijah was a powerful prophet that spoke about, the, you know, the coming doom. Jesus also spoke coming doom. Do you realize that? Jesus was very honest to them. Like if you guys don't repent, you will see the kingdom. He told them. And he was a prophet. But what else do we see? He was mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And then he's, they keep telling the story and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now, this is the, this is the, this is the verse I'm going to. Luke 24, 21. He says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Who can tell me what redeem Israel means? If you, if you have this um, mind of this Christian mindset, you may not pick up on the term. What does redeem mean? To save someone. Okay, to save. To, but in what sense? Like deliver. Like, I think deliver from? From the Roman Empire. Thank you. Beautiful. So in their minds, they were looking for someone that is going to deal with these Romans that have been taxing them, you know, defeating them. It's almost like, picture it as a poor example, but you know how a lot of people are just like, God, we don't want another president in Nigeria that is just going to mess things up. God, send us a deliverer, <laughs> you know? They were looking for a new rulership, a new kingdom. And guess what? They thought Jesus was the one. In fact, do you remember when Jesus turned, you know, uh, five loaves and two fish to thousands of, of, of bread and, and, and fish? Guess what? They started following him. Like, ah, this is him. Yes, we knew it. This is the guy that is going to set us free. He's giving us food. But they missed something. Because what Jesus wanted to establish was the kingdom of heaven, which was something that was delayed. So follow this. Let me read this text to you now. Matthew, Matthew chapter numbers 5 to 7. Let's, let's start from here. Now. Notice, notice who the audience, and you remember I started with, Matthew, I said Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is where we see the kingdom of heaven. We don't see the kingdom of heaven in the New Testament. Why? Because the audience of the kingdom of heaven was, the, the Jews were the only ones that had the context of a political leader, someone who was prophesied by Jewish prophets that would deliver the Jews from Jewish oppression of the Romans. Does that make sense? So the, the context is very Jewish. These people are thinking of a Messiah. The word Messiah itself 
is unique to the Jews. They were not thinking about any other group in the world. Are we still there? So he starts saying this, verse 5, Matthew 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. You know, a lot of people have asked, why did Jesus, because if you really read Jesus, you might get confused. Didn't Jesus come to die and save the world? Like, you know, you read some things and it's like, I only came to the lost sheep of Israel. How many of you have seen that? You know, you read the Bible and it just seems like Jesus is just for the Jews alone. Well, this is why. God's order of things was God wanted to, according to Daniel's prophecy, present to the Jews again. They had rejected God. Don't forget, they killed the prophets. The Jews killed their own prophets. They... And we're going to, that's the parable we're going to interpret today because we don't have time. But that's the one parable we're going to discuss today. They killed the prophets. Finally, the son of God comes. Guess what? They killed him. So there is the possibility somewhere in, in what would I call it now? In some realm of reality where if the Jews had accepted Jesus, He would have brought that kingdom that was prophesied later on to be his millennial reign would have happened. He would have ruled and set everything right. But what what happened eventually is that God ended up using these rebellious people, the Jews who killed Jesus to bring about a more global salvation, more global redemption that was not just physical, but spiritual. Hence, the kingdom of God. So when when a Jew hears kingdom of heaven, they are thinking that kingdom. Because that was what John preached. What did he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven. Here, what did Jesus tell them to preach? Look at the text. Like I said, a lot of these things might fly over your head. Be patient. Follow Follow with me, take notes, make sure you're paying attention, you're writing down things. And I'll probably have a part two next week. So you guys should not um, miss this. Someone's asking, was that not his plan all along? Very good question. The answer is in Romans 11, 33. (laughs) All right. I've taught this before, but I know like to the smaller group, please, you guys should not miss any, anything we do on BMG because they kind of like connect with each other. Um, Well, welcome replica. So what I mean by that, if you read, just as a side note, if you read Romans 11, you understand what God was doing. God did not, God allowed the freedom of his people, the Jews, all right? He allowed them to be free in their choice. So he presented to them, he has always been that kind of person, where he says, I said before you this day, life and death, choose life. He will still give you the option, but we say, choose life so that you will live. But these people were obstinate. If you read the Old Testament very well, the people of Israel were just like angry. They just wanted to do their own thing. They rebelled against God, even though he was kind to them. And that's almost like a lot of us, right? God is kind to us. We still keep rebelling. We still keep doing the wrong things, right? Like it's kind of, don't think that it's just peculiar to the Jews. But even with their rebellion and their rejection of Jesus, God's ultimate plan was still the salvation of the world. So what did he do? Romans teaches us that God used the rebellion of the Jews as an opportunity to reach the Gentiles. 
So now the Gentiles, aka Nigerians, Asians, everyone that was not born in the lineage of Abraham, did not have the the the, the um, genealogy of Abraham, or were not part of the Commonwealth of Israel. Everyone else now has an opportunity to be part of that plan, that family of God. All right, and that's what happens as the story plays out. Israel rejects Jesus. What does God do? God opens the door to the Gentiles. The Gentiles receive with gladness. If you read the book of Acts, you get this whole thing. That's what happens. They receive it. The Jews notice and realize what's going on. And they have this whole squabble. But that was God's way of, you know, ultimately trying to restore the Jews back. So go ahead and study Romans 10 and 11. This will make sense to you. But I just don't want us to spend too much time there. So your question is, wasn't this God's plan? Yes. But how did the plan play out? The plan of God, which is sovereign, has to play out with the variability of man. God is not puppeteering us. God gives us free will, but our free will somehow is within the confines of God's sovereignty. God will do what he wants to do regardless of how you go. And so if you go left and God wanted you to go right, God has a way of changing the goalposts. And bringing it that your left, that your rebellion. God can bring His plan, and you you think you are. <laughs> God is amazing, and so Paul just says in Romans eleven thirty three, your ways are past finding out. Oh, the 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 um, how unsearchable are His judgments. That's literally what you are left with after understanding what God did, you know, in in history. But I digress. I'm sorry for digressing, but I hope that answers your question somewhat because. You know, there are things that people do that have to coincide with the sovereignty of God. And God is so powerful that all the permutations that could ever happen, he's aware, he can handle it. God is not surprised by anything that, that comes his way. God can use the destruction of life to bring about salvation. For example, they killed Jesus. Guess what God did with that? The blood of Jesus became the means through which people could be saved. <laughs> So like, however it was going to go, God's plan of salvation to bring us back to redeem us was going to happen. And God wanted it to not just be Israel alone, which was also prophesied in the Old Testament, but the Gentiles as well. So let's now come back a little bit, just because we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to see what that parable looks like. And I, if I have more time, I'll explain further. But look at this, Matthew 10, 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. Ah, is this profiling? Is Jesus profiling? Well, no. <laughs> Jesus is dealing with who he came to, the Jews. Those were the people he was sent to as a prophet to the nation of Israel. Then he says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So that was the mission. Go to them. If they receive you, beautiful, I will set up my kingdom. If they don't receive you, I have other plans. So he says, as you go, what, what, what was he telling them to preach? Look at verse 7. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of what? Heaven is at hand. So when Jesus preached to the Jews, he was preaching what? The kingdom of heaven. When Jesus was expanding the vision beyond Israel, 
it was called the kingdom of God. And we've talked about the kingdom of God not being of meat and of drink, but of the spirit. So are you getting the contrast? Sometimes you might see an overlap and you just feel like, oh, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. But the major difference is that the kingdom of heaven was preached to the Jews. The kingdom of God includes both the Jews and the Gentiles in Christ. Let me use one parable to help out, but let me pause for any questions. Yeah. Um, hi, Pastor Ernest. So from what I hear, they're the same, right? It's just different, if I can call it this, nomenclatures, I guess, for different audience. Because if we're, it's still the same realities we are talking about, yeah. but I'm only calling it kingdom of heaven because I'm talking to the Jews. And I'm calling the kingdom of God because I'm talking to Gentiles and, you know, every other, yeah, the Jews and Gentiles or what, you know, do I understand it correctly? So it is that and a little bit more than that. Is that and a little bit more. Let me, let me show you something that might also help. And I think this is where the parables make the difference very clear. So, um, and please, Victoria, if you can remind me, I want, I'll probably continue on this next week because there's so many things i haven't given you i have enough scriptures here to just like show you that there's actually a distinction all right and the distinction is not such that they are polar opposites all right it's more like you need to understand who jesus was referring to so that you do not take some things and wrongly interpret the scriptures that's the ultimate goal of everything i've been saying we started with second timothy 2 15 right you want to rightly divide the word of truth. The best way to rightly divide is to know when God is speaking to a group of people and not the others. I remember I've said this before. The Bible was written for you, not always to you. So when you read the Bible, it's not everything that is written there that is to you. Who gets the difference? When you read the Bible, you cannot say, oh, this is the word of God to me. If you are reading Leviticus, and you are seeing specific commands opposed to, you know, wear clothing that have one material only. And you say, that's the word for me. <laughs> or you open your Bible randomly and you say, Judas hanged himself. That's the word of God to me. You can't do that. You can open the Bible and you see the words of the devil there. The devil spoke to Jesus. So the word of God is the accurate representation and explanation of the scriptures. That's the word of God. It's not just the Bible as a whole. It is the correct interpretation of what is in the Bible. That is the word of God. Are you here with me? I hope you get the difference. Okay. So yes, the Bible is the word of God, but when you want to be more specific, you have to understand there are certain things that were written to a Jewish nation that don't apply to you. There are things that were written to specific people that don't even apply to you. But there are some things that you can take and apply to you because it involves the Christian community. For example, you read the book of Ephesians, it's written as a letter to the Ephesians, but guess what? It applies to us. Why? Just the same way they have the spirit, we have this. So that's why Bible study is, is work. It's not just, I read my Bible today. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> There's work involved. Now, what was the message they were told to preach? He said, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Basically, Jesus was saying, tell them that that kingdom that was prophesied has come. It is here. It is right here. Will they receive it? We know how that story ended. 
not everyone received him. John chapter one, just because it's in line. John chapter one, verse 12. This is John's summary. Let me read from verse 10. This is another text that is really misinterpreted to in the body of Christ. John 1.10, he said he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Verse 11, quick question. Let me test you guys. He came to his own. Who is his own? Jews. The Jews, the Israelites. He came to them. But guess what? They didn't receive him. <laughs> Are you seeing the flow? This is history in the making. This, is, this was what happened. Jesus came to his own people. They rejected him. They wanted a political figure. God wanted something deeper. God wanted to redeem their hearts. They wanted to be redeemed from human slavery. God wanted to redeem them from the slavery of sin. Are you seeing? So they were missing God's intentions. So they missed the Messiah. They were looking for someone else. In fact, the Jews today, there are still some Jews today that are saying the Messiah is coming, not knowing that he has already come. That's how bad it is. But then as many as received him, I can tell you for a fact that as many as received him here, includes the Gentiles. There were people who received him and guess what? He gave them the rights. How do I know that's what this is talking about? Well, who had the right to be children of God by virtue of birth? It was the Israelites. They were the ones that had what was called the adoption. It was something they were supposed to get as by virtue of being you know, from Abraham. But ultimately, it was only those who truly believed in Jesus or in God and his plan that would actually have that inheritance or be called sons, which is what the epistles teach us, that when you believe in Jesus, glory to God, Naomi, Modupe, Mimi, Vicky, everyone on this call, the moment you said, thank you, I believe in you, Lord Jesus, and you received him into your heart, guess what happened? You became children of God. The adoption that was supposed to be something the Jews should have had, they rejected. They didn't accept or receive the kingdom of heaven or by extension, the kingdom of God. But what was presented to them was the kingdom of heaven, that that realm where Jesus lived would be what he would rule and reign in their midst. But they didn't receive that. So let's now see something. Um, let's go to one of the parables, all right? And then this is where we'll round off today. And I want you to read this parable, and I'm going to see if you guys can interpret what is going on here. So, um, Matthew 22, from verse 1. And this is how Jesus normally starts parables. Please, I hope you guys learned something so far. Like, today was, I know I really wanted to go through a lot. I'm looking at my notes like this. I'm like, God, I don't know how I thought I would finish everything in one part. So, you guys don't miss part two. There will be part two next week. All right, so let's read this parable together and hopefully you get something very instructive. So Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, he said, the kingdom of heaven. So now he's describing the kingdom of heaven, meaning that it will have something to do with the Jews. Are Are you with me? So it will have something to do with the Jews. So let's see what we can pick out in this story. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged for a a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Does this ring a bell? John 1, 12. John 1, 11. He came to his own 
and his own, his own did not what receive him. Are you still there? Okay, good. So again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calves are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. This is the second time. <laughs> so the first time he says, all those that are invited, call them. Pay attention to the word invited. So the people who were invited are the Jews. What does he do? He reaches out to them. Now, who can tell me from what we've read so far, who were these servants that were sent? You can't be wrong. Trust me, you're right. Like if you, the if, good, the prophets, right? The people God had picked to reach out to these people. But they didn't hear. So look at this. After they he called them, verse five, but they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his own business. That's exactly what happened with, you know, with the Jews. And then, and the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. What does this remind you of? They killed the prophets. On your, write this down if you're writing notes down. Acts chapter seven. I want you to read the story of Stephen. When Stephen was walking through the Old Testament in his, in his summary. If you, want, if you don't know the story of the Old Testament and you want a summary, one good place to read it is Stephen. Stephen was telling these people, you are criminals. You've killed the Lord of glory. You've killed Jesus. Let me tell you how it started. And he tells them from the beginning and shows them like the, the prophets came to them. They killed the prophets. So that's what this is talking about. The servants were seized by these people and they treated them spitefully and killed them, even though they were warning them of the kingdom that was to come. Verse seven. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. So that was the judgment. All those things that you saw in the Old Testament where God was speaking to the people and you're just like, what's going on here? That's kind of like a summary of this. Because they rejected him and they despitefully treated his servants. And that's where the touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm comes from. By the way, that's not talking about pastors today. Context is key. All right. You should honor and respect your pastors, but that's not what that text is referring to. When he says, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. He was basically saying, the ones I have sent to you as prophets, don't hurt them. If you do, Here's the repercussion, and that's what happened to them. Then what does God, sorry, I gave up the story. Then what does the king say to the servants? He says, the, red, the wedding is ready. The, the kingdom is set. But those who were invited were not worthy. Why were they not worthy? They didn't accept it. They did not receive it. They did not, you know, the invitation they received, they threw it away, basically. So what does this king do? Verse 9. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Who can tell me what was happening here? Well, go to the highway. Like, go outside to other places, right? Beautiful. What you see, and invite them. So who would those be classified as? Who would be the outsiders? Gentiles. The Gentiles. Beautiful. The Gentiles. And he says, invite them. So notice, they did not have the invitation initially. Jesus is telling these people the kingdom of heaven, all right? Um, and then, so he says, so these, and so, so those servants went out into the highways 
and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, now, so what is happening here? Naomi is very right. So we are highway men, essentially. Absolutely. Like, thank God for the grace of Christ. The, Paul calls it, we are grafted in. And it's a beautiful thing. It doesn't make us less than the Jews, because in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are one. But it's just the way it's played out. That's where the difference is. And notice the, the terminologies, right? When the book of Matthew, a lot of the time, you will notice that just because of the, the, the fact that Matthew himself was a tax collector, was a Jew. And so his way of writing was to emphasize this kingdom that was rejected. And so you see how he keeps writing about this. All right, look at this. He says in verse 10, so those servants went out and you know the place was filled with guests. Now there's verse 11 as we round off here. Very interesting verse. Let me just put all the verses together. And <laughs> this is one of the things that I got stuck on when I was reading this. So when the king came in to see the guests, so he had invited everyone, but and they're now in there. And so he saw the guests. He saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment on. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's going on here? I thought there was an invitation to everyone since the Jews rejected or since these people rejected. Now he went out and invited. But then of all those that were invited, he comes in, sees a particular guest that is not wearing the wedding garment. So what is the wedding garment? Basically, historically, which is why I said context is important. You did not come to a wedding without a specific attire. And that was an attire that was given to you by the, by the bridegroom or by the king. So you want to come to the wedding. It's like, think of Asher B, just that it's not Asher B. Right, there's just the attire that you must have that makes you connected or a part of that wedding feast. It was a big deal back then. So, what do you think this is referring to? Well, I think it's very clear. Like, if you understand what he's saying, it's just very clear. Who is giving the wedding garment? God. What would a wedding garment represent? A covering. What did God give to us in Christ? He gave us imputed righteousness, all right? So of all the people that are in that wedding feast, you have to not, you have to come right. You have to come with the wedding garment. You can't come with your works. You cannot come with your accolades. You cannot come with anything of yours. You must come with the garment given to you by the bridegroom, by the king. And that is the gown or the the clothes or the cloak or the garment of righteousness. And that's something God alone can give to you. Your own righteousness is like filthy rags, but the righteousness that comes from God is pure. All right. Praise the name of Jesus. We're already out of time. But like I said, there's a part two and I'll go into more detail where I'll break it further, talking about some distinctives, you know, with the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God and um, maybe answer more questions that you might have. So you will see, what you will see is the kingdom of heaven not used at all in the epistles. Primarily, you see in the gospels or maybe a few of the gospels, 
but you do see the kingdom of God mentioned across. So you see, you can make the inference, not just with what I'm saying, but with more scriptures that it's not just an inter- interchangeable term. There was a particular thing Jesus was trying to communicate to the Jews and he told them stories about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven stories always applied to the Jews and how they rejected him or something similar to that. All right. Or even how the kingdom of God worked. And we'll talk more about that um, next week. All right. So, man, there's a lot we've covered, but I hope this was helpful. Let me see if I can take one question or a few comments and then we'll be out of here. We'll stay too long. Okay. Um, well, I have a private message here. Let me see if I can read that. Oh, yeah. So, Olight, yeah, I'm going to actually discuss this next week. So, it's good. You see, I love, I love this group. I love this. So, you guys are doing the work. So, this is going to come up um, next week. Um, and I think just for everyone's knowledge, he's talking about the fact that there are some instances where one is used in place of the other. And I'll explain those ones and show you why they are different. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting, too. So there's a question. Does this mean that if the Jews had accepted God from the onset, we wouldn't have experienced salvation? That's a question that will be hanging in eternity past forever. Let's thank God that it played out the way it did, <laughs> that we are grafted in. Like, I mean, I wish I could teach you a different story, but I have to teach you what happened. The Bible uses these terms for us as adopted, grafted in, when once not a people, but now we are a people, I can only stay with the context of scripture. But one, one thing I can tell you is that it was always God's plan that we would be in God through Christ. It was always the plan of God. It was not a second idea. Now, how that played out in history was dependent on human factor, which we know is variable. And so all of that had to play into God's sovereign plan and still bring it to pass. So no matter what you wanted to do to thwart God's plan, it was still going to come to pass. So God's plan was everyone that he created to be redeemed from, um, from sin. And you can even go further and say, okay, what would have happened if nobody sinned? I don't know. We've sinned. That's what matters. So now we need redemption. And thankfully, redemption is open to everyone. Um, and it's, it's not by your class, your accolades, your status. It's by faith. God has made it a uniform thing that even the lazy or the wise or the smart or the foolish can access it. You just need, you just need a humble heart. Beautiful stuff. Um, someone said, like, how is it possible to make it into the wedding feast and they'll not throw you out? Remember, this is from the first teaching. When you read a parable, you have to go for the meaning, not every element. So the fact that, I hope you know that most of these parables, Jesus was thinking them up at the moment. Have you ever thought about it? Like, it's not like he was rehearsing and practicing. I will tell the story. Sometimes Jesus might be teaching and a farmer is farming over there and he just turns there and says, you know, a farmer went out to sow. Some seeds fell on the ground and people could see it. That may, or when he's talking about, look at the birds in the air. Do you think he was just standing like this and saying, look at the birds in the air? No, like he was literally teaching like, Look at the birds. They are not worried about anything. Look at the grass. So many of these things were things that, of course, he was the written word in, in the flesh, but there was the artistic element to how he taught. And he used things that they could relate to. I'm the bread of life. They ate bread every day. So it made sense. If he was in Nigeria, Lagos, Nigeria, 
he might have said, I'm the rice of life because we eat rice every day. So I just want you to know that Jesus was a teacher and he used every tool at his disposal to teach. So in a story like this, where he would switch up things and maybe he had, like this concern you have of everyone is inside and then somebody's not wearing, you know, a garment. How did that happen? Well, it's kind of like similar to the parable of the wheat and the tears. How did the tears come? All I know is that when everything has grown fully, we take out the wheat, we take gather the tears and we burn them. So, so we'll talk about that. And I think next week we'll talk more on this and then go into what I've titled. Um, what have I titled it to? Oh my Lord. Who remembers? Something about the, the, the um, difficult scenes of Jesus. Um, but I, yeah, stories that torch, T-O-R-C-H. <laughs> I like to play too much. But yeah, like fiery scenes of Jesus. All right. Uh, uh, Shewa, I see your hand up. Last question and then we'll, we'll round off. Hi. Um, Pastor Inez, good evening. So thank you so much Hi. for for this. So this isn't, I don't know if this is a question, but it's, I guess it's a pondering, if I, if I can mm-hmm. call it that. Especially when we were reading the passage in Daniel, you know, when he was talking about the different kingdoms. Yeah. And so... I was just wondering why, you know, we started off talking talking about physical kingdoms, talking mm-hmm. about the you know kingdom of this and kingdom of that, and these are like physical human kingdoms, and then we switch to a spiritual kingdom, right? Talking yeah. about you know the realities that we have in Christ and and all of that, and and it may, it looks like. Oh, this spiritual kingdom would would uh, replace or you know like override or just continue, and then there will be none of. I mean, just looking at it, uh, I guess a face value, it looks like this kingdom would override, and we would not have any of these physical kingdoms anymore. But that isn't quite the situation, right? Because even yeah. just we still have physical kingdoms, quote and unquote, yep. like physical powers. Mm-hmm. And then we have the spiritual kingdom. So I guess just reading through that, I, I just wonder why the physical and the spiritual are like juxtaposed. Like I put side by side, even though there aren't really, you know, things we can compare because it's, it's not apples to apples, right? Yeah. And so that's why I say it's not a question. <laughs> It's more so like I, a and I, pondering. Just yeah, and I'm with I'm you. Like, I'm with you in that line of thought because yeah. Let me let me throw a thought as well alongside. We re, I hope we all realize that the kingdom we are looking for, you know, like Hebrew speaks about, is not an earthly kingdom. It's not made with human hands, but it is as physical as it gets because. Not only are we, you know, most people just have this short-term view of we die and we go to heaven. That's it. But how many of you realize that that's not the end of the story? We go to heaven and we come down to a new heaven and a new earth where the kingdom of God is fully established. And it is not just spiritual and ethereal. It is real, tangible. There are people, there are nations, there's, you know, there are homes, there are cities. Like it's a real reality that we are looking forward to. All right, so um, I think that's the thought I'm throwing back at you, Shewa. Like, yes, there's a lot of spiritual innuendos. Like, yeah, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. You cannot say, see, there, see, there. Jesus says, 
but the kingdom of God is in you. It's within you. So there's a spiritual sense of the kingdom, but there was still the kingdom that he was preaching about where everything Daniel actually prophesied will come to pass in a real tangible kingdom where God is the king and the ruler that will never end, that will never be destroyed by any other reign and will be one of joy, peace. So it's like a juxtaposition of the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy, but experiencing that in real life, like everything works well. There's no more tears, no more sorrow in our eyes. So, and yeah, someone said no more marriage. Yes, because you are now married to the maker of your soul. Even though that sounds cheesy, but it's as it's as, it's as true as that sounds. Um, marriage is something God created to help us mirror the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, when the church becomes fully married to Christ in the consummative sense, there is really no more need for marriage. We're not mirroring anything. When that which is perfect comes, we'll know everything and see everything as it. All right. So hope that was helpful. So I'm with you. I'm still, you know, there are a lot of things to really think about, but I like the fact that you, you thought about that as well. Okay. Um, well, this was fun. We'll continue next week. All right. So let me pray for us and, and let us go. In case, if you want to stay and talk a little bit, I could stay for a little while, but um, we're, we're done right now. So Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for this time exploring your word, understanding that you have clear plans and purposes in all that you do. From time immemorial, you started this work. You brought salvation to us as a gift. And Lord, we thank you because we have been made to be part of this beautiful story. Um, we're once not a people, but now we are the people of God. We thank you. We, we acknowledge you in every in every way possible. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lord. Help us to reason through the scriptures, to think deeply, to investigate, to learn, and to be not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I pray for everyone here who um, just, I mean, just came here with some burden in their heart and some pain, some difficult situation they're going through. Lord, you are the giver of all comfort. I pray that they are comforted right now by your spirit at work in them. Someone has been worried for a long time about finances. You're just like, I don't know what is going to happen next. It hasn't caused you to cry a few times. Um, the Lord says there is peace for you. And not only peace, there is supply. God is leading people your way. Be open and be expectant for the generous God to come in. He will wipe away your tears in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen and amen. All right. God bless you guys. Hey there. So we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the Bible world and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on MixLR or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash bmglive4. That's the number four. Or you can look in the description and you'll find the link to the website there. We hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith.